Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to the Church Planner Podcast. Before we started today, wanted to tell you about a really special opportunity. Our friends at the Micro Church Conference put on by Brave Future, um, happening April 18th through the 20th in Kansas City. This is for all of you who are wondering what is a new kind of paradigm for missional church planting and church multiplication through smaller expressions of church, what they call rediscovering the smaller way. It's happening April 18th through the 20th. Kansas City is being hosted by Kansas City Underground. It's going to be a great weekend. And they've given us four free registrations to give away. Normally the price is $90, but we will get you into the conference for free. We have four of those. What you can do to enter is go on our Instagram at Church Planter Podcast. And there you'll find um, a, a DM button. Click that DM button. Send us a DM with your email on it and your name and where you serve. So email, name, where you serve, and you'll be entered to win one of four micro church conference registrations. You just get yourself to Kansas City and uh, you can be there and learn a ton from our friends at Brave Futures. Hope you enjoy the show today. I'm Pete Mitchell. He's Peyton Jones, and this is the Church Planner Podcast, brought to you by Church Planner Magazine. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Here for another edition of the old Church Planner Podcast. We're, uh, we're finally of legal drinking age. Yes, we're 21 years old, baby. Not to say that we have not been drinking before tonight. I don't know what you're talking about. The podcast has been drinking before this. No, the podcast is clean. Just once. Remember that time? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Bleeding the fifth on the Church Planner Podcast. Hey, we're really excited. We have... Hey, he has a microphone, doesn't he? He does. He's mic'd up. <laughs> All right. So Mike Cheshire is mic'd up. We have Mike Cheshire, the Cheshmo author of How to Knock Over a 7-Eleven and Other Ministry Training, and also uh, Why We Eat Our Own, which are two phenomenal books. But uh, I would almost say that How to Knock Over a 7-Eleven is kind of like a, a church planning textbook. Wouldn't you agree, Pete? I, well, I liked it a lot because I like the... Uh... But he's not agreeing. Well... <laughs> No, what I thought was really good about it. I, I only asked you because you're giving me a weird look. No, I just, here's what I really liked about the book. It gave so many ideas for businesses that they were doing in their church plant. And so I hope you're going to be acting, acting, no, acting, asking the old uh, Michael Cheshire. No, that because stuff. that's where you come in, my friend. So Mike, good to have you on the show. It's good to be here. Yeah, man. So what do we do now? It's your show, man. <laughs> I'm just here for the ride. All right. Well, hey, so uh, Mike, it, it really is an honor. We uh, we dig on everything you do. Um, I am a fan of the man. I am a fan of his ministry, and I am definitely a fan of his writing. I think every episode we uh, we, we jokingly yeah we pay homage. We uh, we mention the Cheshmo. Um, every time we mention his names, Pete has a theory that an angel gets his wings. Um, I have a theory that we make invisible monopoly money. No one ever sees it, but it's, you know, it's like cha-ching, you know, somehow we're, we're, we're cashing in somehow somewhere there's paying dividends, 
but uh, Michael Cheshire does not pay us. We just are a fan because here's a guy that thinks outside the box. And before we big him up um, too much, uh, we're just going to uh, let him tell a few stories. But uh, then Pete's gonna gonna kind of talk the business talk, which is kind of like math to me, which I don't really understand. So. So that's the reason why you have me on this episode. I, that's why Pete's on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. The same reason he's on every episode of the Church Planner, but, but especially tonight. So anyways, uh, we've just gotten I'm out of the... the idiot between the two of us, so... Are you sure about that? I am when it comes to church planning. Yeah. I've got my skill set, but it's not in that area. Most most social situations I come out of, I have to ask Pete, like, hey, man, was that, like, too much idiot? And Pete usually tells me I was just about enough. You know, I will say just this. Right. He is such a fanboy of Rick Warren. It was like everyone we were when we were at Saddleback. He's like, "Yeah, we really want to work with Rick, and this is what we want to do." And I was like, "Dude, can you just calm down?" Yeah, you got to play cool, like you're who. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's how and, it is. and I don't know how to do that. I kind of <laughs> wear my heart on my sleeve. So, anyways, Mike, it's awesome having you, man. So, uh, tell us a little bit. You're you're also the pastor of the Journey. Uh, church in Colorado, and I mean, you guys are doing some some really groundbreaking stuff. And I mean, a lot of the stuff that people are going to hear today is going to be pretty shocking if they haven't read your book, because it's stuff that, I mean, Pete and I are pretty well read in the world of church planning, but I mean, you, you say stuff that uh, people, I, I've never heard a lot of times. So I mean, tell us a little story about the Journey Church, how you started up, and a little bit of history, introduction to people who just think we're making you up. <laughs> All right. Well, that's fair. Well, I was born and raised in Texas, and that's where I, I came to Christ. And uh, so I did a couple church plants there. And uh, the problem with being in the South is that everybody's already a Christian. And so you would talk to people and say, hey, you want to come to my church? Or, you know, And they're like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I should go to church somewhere. So you know, talking to people who are authentically like, yeah, I really don't follow God wasn't there. So uh, I talked to my wife and said, you know, I want to live somewhere where, you know, people are openly atheists or, you know, okay with that. So we visited a few places and Denver was the place that we just decided to, to go. In fact, when I, I first went there, uh, the team I was moving with actually bailed on me, like in the parking lot. <laughs> of, we, we just had this big disagreement and they were like, yeah, God's not here. And I'm like, well, I'm going to move to Denver. So they all drove home. Wow. So I went to get a hamburger and I ended up in a parking lot and a guy saw my Texas license plate and he said, well, what's bringing you here? And I said, well, I'm a, my job. And he said, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And he said, well, I'm an atheist. And I said, really? He said, swear to God. And uh, that was how he it said, started. Swear to God? Yeah, I thought it was funny. He did. <laughs> and so... And so I moved there and, uh, you know, just started a little Bible study. It's, it's interesting when you move somewhere and you literally don't know anyone. Yeah. Like not, I didn't have a relative. I didn't have a friend. I just had this idea. And so, you know, you just, you first you start attending churches and you see all the good ones and you're like, wow, this is, I don't know if I would go to my living room. And, uh, <laughs> and I met one person and then another guy knew another guy. And so I ended up assembling a team of like, you know, I was at that time 35, maybe 33. I don't know. It all blurs together now. Once you're in your 40s, you're just like, yeah, oh, sometime yeah, back then. So young back then. There you go. <laughs> and uh, and so, you know, we just started talking about what a church could be. And that's where my, my team came from. And then we you know, we launched. And uh, uh, we actually started down in Denver, and it was growing good. And we were going to do another location. I have some other guys who want to be pastors. <laughs> and we ended up in... Uh, Doing one up in the hills, which is about 20 minutes outside of Denver, is where the mountains are and you, in the foothills. And we were going to do one up there because it's like a suburb. And uh, around that time, I got really sick. My kidneys just shut down for no reason. They don't mm. know why. 
And uh, so they got him on, but there was a lot of health issues with it. And my doctor said, you can't do a service down here on Sunday morning and do one up there on Sunday night because 4,000 feet in elevation is, is, is going to kill you. So she said, you just need to well, you can go wherever you want, but stay there. So I was like, oh, good. Well, I'm in the city. And my wife was like, nah, I want to move up in the mountains. Mm. Smart and woman. I, ugh, not, ugh. <laughs> yes, she's smart. <laughs> no, I didn't like that idea because, I mean, I wanted to build a big church. You sure. know? And I think sometimes, you know, it's, I think sometimes it's like we, we see that in other, in other dynamics of a business guy says, I want to open, I don't want to just open one restaurant. I want to open a chain. We're like, oh, good for you. Yeah. If a person says, I want to be a rental car guy, but I want to open a rental car company that does yeah. it everywhere. But in a church, if you want a bigger church, they're like, oh, it's just about you. But I believe God puts that, that some people, their Amen. voice wants to matter. Amen. And so I thought this is never going to happen in a town of 9,000 people, 20, 25 minutes out of the city. And so I moved up there begrudgingly. And, uh, and, and the other church just started kind of dying because, you know, it was like, couldn't get yeah. attention to it. Yeah. And so we started building and I, I went on a walk one day, like a month after moving up there. And I remember vividly telling God out loud, what did I do to you? You know, I've done what you said. I plant churches. I try to be decent. You know, I have my share of people who I hurt and it was an accident, but I was learning and, and I've tried to make peace. What did I do? And uh, I had plans, you know, and I remember God just inside of my soul. It's, it's almost like a booming voice inside of you. He said, I told you to live here. I never told you don't be great. Mm. And I was like, how do you be great here? And, and it, it began a... Uh, evolution, if you will, in my head about the fact that like most churches for every, you know, and I do, I love Rick Warren and, you know, yeah. I'm a fan of High Bulls. I'm a fan yeah, yeah. of Andy Stanley. But when like Andy Stanley talks about, you know, he started with 900 people and a million dollars. I'm like, if I could get to that. Yeah. And, and so I couldn't, I'm not in that world, but for every one church like that, there's 10,000 that are just in normal, that are just in normal places, you know, and, and rural areas. And so we just began this, this idea of uh, reaching a church uh, for, for people far from God and really doing it, because a lot of churches say that. But then they don't do it. You know, you're like, oh, we're reaching the lost. And so we wanted people who had never been in church. But uh, funding it was, it was, we had no money and nobody I, backed us. I have to break in because in, in How to Knock Over 7-Eleven, one of my favorite church planning quotes ever, starts off something like this. Ah. Uh, Church startups and money, so hard to get those two in the room together. <laughs> oh, and it is. It is. And you can get some funding, but a lot of times you have to give up who you are, you know, to, to uh, you know, to, you have to follow all the rules. And I mean, I have a friend who recently was part of a denomination and, and, and they wanted 10%, 10%. And for years he gave them 10%. And, and I, you know, we were talking one time, I was like, what do they do? He goes, nothing. He goes, I don't even know if the overseer has been in my church in like five years. But if I don't send my check-in on time, you know, then they're yeah. going to say, I'm not part of you. And I'm like, they don't own the building. They don't own anything. So so we went through this whole thing. We started an odd jobs company. It's kind of like a mafia. It, Paying the 10% protection. Well, and, you know, there are some networks that you can see they're actually planning churches. Right. And I'm down with that. Right. But when you're, like, just collecting money, it's like, when do I pay you off for the building that I bought, the congregation that I developed, the media that I do, and at some point, it's just a name on a paper. Like, we'll take your credentials. $8.50 at any local town hall, you can get reordained. I got ordained in the back of Rolling Stone magazine because nobody would ordain me. 25 bucks. 
Dude, that is the most rock and roll, no pun intended, yeah. most rock and roll uh, ordination I've ever heard of. I had to do a, I had to do a wedding, and I was like, how do you get one of those papers? <laughs> and they're like, you know, send $25, and you can name whatever you want. So, I know there's one in California that'll do it for a buck. See, that's a, that's a discount. I pay 25 <laughs> I want a dual ordination, one for the, the church I got ordained in, and the other one is like a, a minister of the Jedi order. That'd be awesome. You know that's got to exist already. Uh, absolutely. We should Google that. It's probably we more should. than twenty five bucks though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know they got you. Yeah, and they're they're hard on you. There is no try on they do. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Copious Star Wars references in the Church Planner podcast. Well, if you don't like uh, Star Wars, then you shouldn't be Church Planner. You got to rethink no, your calling. Yeah, that's it. Absolutely. So much truth there. Absolutely. Man. Except Jar Jar Binks. Uh, Jimbo, that's for you. We know a church planner who hasn't watched Star Wars yet, and he wants to plant a church. Yeah, well, Michael, what would you say to such a man? I'd say how are you going to understand leadership? How are you going to understand greatness? So, yeah. So, Mike, um, tell us about the uh, role that the uh, that the Denver Nuggets played in your uh, church plant. They uh, helped you. Uh, I remember you had 50 bucks. I think you needed a, a projector. Oh, yeah. That was one of the coolest church planning stories ever. Well, we needed we needed a sound system. And we had like So, you know, when you start a church, you don't have much money. But when you start a church with a bunch of people who are just out of either Bible college or just quit Bible college because they didn't want to keep going, and, you know, you all work like menial jobs, so we had no money. So we were actually one of the first guys who came to our Bible study was like a bookie. Like, that's what he did. Like, he made bets. And we were just enamored because you're like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> And I, we were we were in our living room doing Bible studies, and and he said, "Hey, we're gonna I'm gonna go watch the game tomorrow. Now you want to come?" I'm like, "Yeah." So we met at this little pub, and we we're watching the game. And he said, "Hey," he goes, "I, if you guys, you, you, I know you're trying to get a sound system together, and for the soundboard, and it's like five hundred dollars." He goes, "You give me fifty bucks, and if we bet on this, because I don't understand how betting works to a great degree." He goes, "If you bet on this basketball game, and then the Denver Nuggets to win, if they both win, I mean, a football game and then a basketball game." Then you win like five hundred and fifty dollars, and I'm like, all right, man. So I took fifty dollars, my friends, and he. And so we're sitting there, and that's how we got our first soundboard. That's awesome. Because you won, uh, apparently. Because they won, yeah. Well, and it was close too, man. It was like at the last second, guy hit like a three pointer, and I was like, so you know Jesus is in it. You know? Absolutely. You know? <laughs> I tell that story at churches sometimes, and I get like the biggest lectures. Like, no, that's not right. I'm like, hey, they cast lots, like dice hey, for the next disciple. Hey, you tell them that the uh, the temple in Jerusalem was built with Egyptian gold, y'all. Yeah, well, you know you, what I'm saying. You can quote a bunch of stuff. They still are like, well, still yeah. strong. I'm like, well, it played sound. So yeah, Pete's dad would not approve. He's a Baptist pastor. He would not approve no. of that, Michael. But we didn't get addicted to it, so we had, we didn't go back out and say, "Hey, you yeah, know, yeah. Yeah. we didn't get addicted to it. We can quit any time, man. Yeah. We can quit any time." Church needs a new van. What's the points right on the Rams game? That's awesome. So, how did you get your core team? Because you said the ones you went out there with all left you. You know, we, we well, when I went out there, I went out there with like families, like you know, and they were like trying to figure out. And I had a wife and kids, but. You know, they were like, oh, we'll get jobs. And they didn't realize, like, the first job I got going out there was shoveling manure at a ranch. So I got that the first day. And we were there two or three days before they all split. And it was the idea of going out and getting a job. And the guy was like, well, I need a job that makes this much money. And I'm like, well, I just, I, I moved my family into a one-bedroom apartment. I had three little kids and a wife who was just down for it. And I was like, hey, we'll just, I mean, we're not going to stay here. But I moved in ghetto town and part of, of Denver. And so... um uh, they they had this idea that, you know, if God's in this, then we're like we couldn't even afford a hotel. So like, 
uh, Ted Haggard's church was down the street when he was still there, New Life. They had a 24-hour prayer center, so that's where I slept. I would just be like pretending to pray. You know, I just, uh, he must be slaying the spirit because he's snoring hard. <laughs> so I would drive there and then I'd drive the 40 minutes back to Denver to look for places. And I think the reality is like ministry and church planting, it sounds awesome. Even to like college kids, once you get in it, after two weeks, it's not, you yeah. find out if you want it or that's not. Right. And that's why 90% of the churches don't make it. it. has nothing to do with the fact that they weren't taught and don't, everything that you need to know, somebody can tell you. The problem is if you have a plan B, it's going to always take that. And in the parking lot, as it erupted, it realized, mm. oh, he needs to find the perfect job, making tons of money, and then it'll be fine. Instead of going, I will shove him manure till the next job gets here yeah. while I look for it. Yeah. And you have to be willing to do those things. Amen. And they weren't willing to do them. Amen. So that's how it fell apart. Yeah. And, and, and I think that that's key, what you're saying right there, where you don't have a plan B. You know, you're convinced God's calling you on this, and you invest in it. You sacrifice you go for it, man. You don't look back. It's like Cortez burning his ships, you right, know? Right. It's like as long as you, if you, you know, people want to dabble in the inheritance. Like building a church, and, and this is actually literally five years the longest I ever stayed at a church. Because all the churches I planted, I knew I didn't want to be there. Hmm. I wanted to get to a, a place where I could live my life. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, you can either dabble in the inheritance. And like when Cortez got to the new world... They, they could take gold back and you get some of the gifts, but to live in the inheritance, the ships have to go bye-bye. You can't have another alternate, like, you know, and so they woke up. He didn't tell her about them and burn the ships. Eleven ships, they woke up, they were all on fire. And they, it was the reality. There's no going home. Like, there's yeah. not like the love boat's not coming by, guys. It's awesome. And I, I think a lot of times in the movie The Godfather, you know, when he talks about a friend that got killed and he, he gives him this lecture, he goes, this is the business we have chosen. Yeah. When somebody gets killed, it's because they chose to do this business. It doesn't matter if they deserved it or not. We chose to be in a violent business. That's it. And you move that into church work, when you're eating ramen for the 19th month in a row, this is the business we've chosen. Absolutely. And, and if we're going to build a church, then you're going to have to realize you're in your infant stages, and that's when the enemy always wants to kill everything. It happens in the Discovery Channel with the little animals, and it happens. So in that first five years... The enemy's going to make you a target. Absolutely. And you better just own the fact that this is where you are, and that's it. And there's no other option. Yeah. And then you're okay. How do you, um, when, when you're dealing with a core team, and you've got your core team, and it's that kind of make or break, and you're in that stretch, that five-year stretch, how do you keep your core team encouraged, keep their chin up, keep them motivated? Well, I think you have to uh, remind them a lot first that this isn't where we're staying. I mean, we spent a lot of times, uh, you know, I would download, you know, the videos of bigger churches and say, hey, guys, this is where we're headed. And I'd show it, you know, like a leadership talk. You have to invest in that. And I think senior pastors who don't have humor and cannot make because for a long time, you're the only paycheck they get. So you have to bring humor and fun and, and, and take them to movies and you become a family and you, hey, we're doing it together. And it's funny because it's just now to the point where everybody's looking around going, uh, you know, because we can afford things now. And, you know, money's still tight at different times, but, but you, you, you remember when, wow, there was a time we couldn't just go on a trip or, yeah. or do these things. And so I think that if a pastor, when the first earliest roles, you're, you're not just the leader, you're the dad, you're the entertainment. 
you're the morale, you're, and you have to register those things because we get focused a lot of times when people show up. The first 10, 20 people, they can almost get the pastor's attention. And, and, and what I learned doing it wrong a couple of times is I pastor my team, my team pastors the church. I don't care how big the church or small it is. I love on my staff and they love the church. But the minute that I move them out of the way, go, oh, these are the more important people, the staff can pick up on that. Yeah. And so our staff, we, we worked for a year before I let us start the church. Like we literally just did jobs together. And and we lived in the same apartment complex, like talk, all talk the same show. Talk a little bit about that because yeah. you mentioned in the book uh, how to knock over 7-Eleven and other ministry training that you guys came to a realization that you wouldn't be able to spend enough time together because you were all doing all kinds of different jobs. Yeah, you had like carpet cleaners. You had, you know, everybody's kind of doing different stuff. Yeah, yeah. Pool sales. Like I sold pools, swimming pools in Colorado, which stupid. Uh, <laughs> we had people doing carpet cleaning. They were for uh, like a bounce house company. And so we would try to get together. But, you know, these were like manual jobs or like, you know, in sales you had to be at night. So we just kind of started realizing we're not even seeing some of each other. For, and we lived on the same apartment complex floor. Wow. The entire All eight apartments were ours. So you would go five, six days without seeing somebody. Let me let me back up for a second. I didn't know that. I don't think that's in the book. No, is it, it isn't. No. I mean, like, was that that obviously was intentional. You didn't move into a complex and just meet your seven neighbors and say, "Hey, let's plant." Was when that we, intentional? When we first started, everybody we we rented this giant mansion that was close to downtown. It had like I don't know twelve bedrooms. And I said, well, we'll just kind of be like a, you know, it's really weird. If you live with people here in the United States, they think it's weird. But I've been in Europe enough times. That's just normal. Like, you know, a bunch of friends, families will live together. Dude, when I planted my first church in uh, Europe, I, I had another couple, part of my core team, living with me for nine months. That's, oh, yeah. That's normal. That's, that's, and that's, well, like right now, we have a giant house because we bought this land, had a ranch house. You got a couch, So, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's, so we, we rented this house and I said, it will just save us money if you guys want, you know, to, to do this. And if you don't, then we get your own place. And everybody was like, yeah, they didn't want to miss that. So we, we kind of became a family. And that's the dynamic I think a lot of teams miss is because you kind of, you get, you get over it. In six months, you're okay living together because you yeah. know habits. Right. And so, and then when it opened up this apartment complex, this guy bought it and we were doing these odd jobs and, and he, he saw we could flip an apartment in a day, paint it, change the carpet, everything. And so, uh, so he said, Hey, if you guys want to manage these, I'll give you a real discounted rate. So he gave us our own floor, which, and it was a top floor and, and it had its own doors. So like our doors could stand locked because to get in that hallway, you had to be part of those, uh, the, the people who lived there. But what happened is, is that we weren't spending any time together. And so one of the guys, I don't remember who brought it up. It was right before Thanksgiving, I think. And we were all off and we were like, man, it's really good to sit in a room. And it was a couple hours and we weren't talking about church stuff. It was just like cool. And, 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 and one of the guys brought up, they said, man, if we don't work together, uh, and at least spend time together, even if we're working at a job, like if we all worked at this job or that job. And I have a business uh, background. I've, I've run businesses and on the TV, there was a college like hunks that haul off your garbage or something, you know, the shirtless college guys, whatever. And immediately you thought, and thought we can do that. Well, this was pre-sickness, so I, I looked would, good. That's what me and Pete would think, right? Well, I would think that. Come there on. you go. Right? <laughs> there goes my shirt. Hold on, ladies. So I said, I'm naked right now doing this podcast, just so you know. So I thought, you know, why don't we just start an odd jobs company and see how this works? So everybody gave their two weeks notice. And we started, and um, the first job was to throw a big screen TV that didn't work out of four stories uh, building to the dumpster for 20 bucks. 
And then we would just started learning how to do stuff. So people would call and say, how much to put in a French drain? And we're like, we'll call you back. And we'd Google, what's a French drain? And YouTube can tell you everything. It'll tell you everything to do. And so, so what were you advertising? Craigslist? Craigslist. All Craigslist. That was it. But I, see, I, I love how in the book you go, uh, hey, you know, they teach classes at Home Depot, right? Oh, <laughs> we yeah. We to tons of those. Uh, it, everything. We learned how to do. We got certified to do mold mitigation. We did cleanup after fires, floods. And then it was when the market started tanking in the housing. And so banks, we were hired by three different banks, excuse me, to do trash outs. And when people would get evicted, they would, uh, most of the time they didn't move out. They would just wait till the police show up. And then they have 45 minutes. So you start going through. And during this time, we didn't have a church. So we were the church. So you end up in a home and you're like looking at photo albums and, you know, messed up, you know, everything was going wrong for these people's lives. And so, and you know, they, the bank would say, get the fridge out, get the stove out. So we'd sell those. You make about $1,500 on a house. We do four or five a day mm-hmm. and, and just clean them up, you know, and, 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 and that's how we, we started, you know, learning how to, you know, just do wiring and, you know, yeah. and, and things like that. So I think one of the, <clears throat> one of the most touching, probably one of the most important things, um, that, that I got out of that story in the book. And I mean, this is all like in the first chapter, um, uh, you, you you said something that you know is pretty uh, pretty emotive. Um, you said that when you guys were going through that, like you guys would normally be laughing if you're like doing construction or putting stuff, installing stuff, you'd be laughing and joking around with each other. And you said on those days where we had to clean out those apartments, man, we we'd come home and it was quiet because we 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 just were getting a heart for the community. We're watching these people's lives fall apart by looking through their stuff. And that's where we got the heart for the community. And I, I just see strategically that was the Holy Spirit. Oh, totally. And it changed your, you, you know, it, you know, church work and building a church, whether we like it or not, a lot of it's about numbers. You have to get certain numbers. But we, it's, it was always a reminder that's still with us today that, that every number represents a story. And so you, there was one house where, you know, these people, we don't know who they are. And then we found all these letters in a drawer. And it was uh, this lady's husband. They had a small child was overseas he was a soldier and she had started seeing someone else and we read through an entire breakup both letters they were all there and on the back of the door they had had like a six seven year old kid because we saw the pictures the back of the door of the kids room was in crayon i miss my dad and you just you you, there's it you have nowhere to go with that other than it just it goes deeper inside of you and so you start really caring about the fact that you know people are people's lives you know church I think sometimes pastors, we get like, you know, why didn't they show up at church? Or why didn't they do this? Yep. And are they mad? And I think they forget, like, most of the time it has nothing to do with you. Yep. Their life is just starting to disintegrate, yep. and you're an afterthought. Yeah. And, and, and we personalize it. I can so relate to that. You know, I, I think all of us get a, a spiritual two-by-four upside the head at, at certain times with, with the Lord when we start making it about us. And the Lord has to kind of take you back to the woodshed. I remember this one couple when I was in Europe, and... You know, the church was, was in its second year, and I mean, the second year always sucks because you've lost a lot of people who lost that love and feeling from the very beginning, but you haven't really kicked into, like, a lot of the growth that comes later. And I, I can remember, like, wanting to quit all the time, 
and uh, having certain things were kind of like the straw that breaks the camel's back. So I was short on patience with other people's failings or their lack of commitment. And, and you know, I, I'm past that stuff now. I, I can honestly say it, I, that stuff doesn't – I laugh at that stuff now. But at that time, I can remember this one couple stuck out in my mind as being kind of – I actually mouthed the microphone. I actually went in my mouth right I then. I told you you're eating the mic. I, I, I get why you're saying that. And I now see that from your side view what happened. But I can remember this – <laughs> yourself. I just – it, it tasted kind of good. I'm, I'm, I'm going back later. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the uh, the the reality was this this couple. Now I can't tell the story because it was really touching up until then. <laughs> but the, yeah, I forget it. It's not important. Um, but this uh, this this couple, uh, I was really cheesed off at them. My attitude was so bad that had they had, had they turned up and had major problems, I couldn't have shepherded them. And about six weeks in, I was getting ready to call them, and they called me, and they said, "Oh, you know, uh, Peyton." Um, we just called to let you know that we could really use you coming over for prayer right now. And uh, we, uh, you know, we had a miscarriage seven weeks ago. And uh, we, we, we haven't really been able to function. And they were like, you know, and, 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 and he said, you know, actually, my, my wife hasn't really been able to get out of bed. You know, she's in such a deep depression. And I, I tell you, man, I felt like I felt so small. That I could have like shrunk down and you know the little hole in the phone receiver. Remember, like when you used to have like telephones with like holes in them? Young people, you have yeah. no idea what I'm talking about. But I could have fit through that hole, dude, and I'll be right over, you know, and boom, I would have been there. Just crawled through the phone line, man, because I felt so small. We and forget s- that we traffic in, that's what we do. We traffic in human suffering. Yeah. And, and, <clears throat> and, and they either they retract or I spend time as a firefighter and a paramedic, and Amen, I never got one time to a call where a hurt person was nice to me. Yeah. They're either unconscious, yep. really afraid, but most of yep. them just mean. Yeah. Because they break their arm. They're going to kick you, spit at you. Yep. And, and it's easy to see. They're not, you know, now we don't leave them there. We're going to go, well, you're going to be a jerk, then fine. Hey, we're going to take you. And I think that, like, that's the thing that pastors have to carry with them. And the thing is this, that, that it doesn't change the fact that if somebody's hurt and they kick me, it still hurts. And pastors live in this world of constant rejection. And, and I think you, it took me years to understand Oh, this is just part of it. Yeah. That that they cycle out. They they're 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 mad at themselves. They're blaming you. They don't like this. They don't like that. But at the end of the day, that you can't take it personal and realize they're just hurt. Absolutely, absolutely, man. Yeah. I've so learned that when people are taking pot shots at you, <laughs> stuff ain't right. No, ain't right at home. The marriage is in a tense place. You know, they're looking for someone to bite out at, man. And a lot of times it holds their marriage together because, like, oh, you, you know, I, I do marriage counseling, and they'll kind of both get mad at you, and you realize their marriage gets fixed for a while. That's right. Because now I'm the common enemy. Amen. And then, but the, ultimately, once you go off and I, you can't hate me no more, here we go again. Yep. And so, yeah, it's it's a weird psychology to it all. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, you've, uh, I mean, you guys start up that business and. Uh, and then the church just started. I mean, this is the fascinating thing about Journey Church. You guys just started doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Like you started up like a, a driving school. A, uh, What's the restaurant called? Is it the Angry Llama? The Angry Llama. Such a killer. Tell, tell well, us that story, man. What happened there? Well, everywhere up there, there was llamas. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm from Texasville, Longhorns, you know, and you can eat those. Well, I asked a guy who owned a bunch of them. We went into our church and said, why do you have llamas? Like, do you eat them? Do you sell them to, you know, Mount Everest so they can pack them up or what? And he said, he said, no, he said, I sell most of them to uh, shepherds that own sheep in like Wyoming. Wow. 
And I'm like, really? And he said, yeah. He said, because he said the sheep there are like, they'll just go out. Like they don't need shepherds with them. And uh, so, but they'll put a llama. He said, because llamas will identify with whatever animal you put it with. So if it's, if you put him with like a horse, he thinks he's the littlest horse. If you put him with sheep, he thinks he's the biggest sheep. And so when a lion, a mountain lion or a bear will come and attack, the llama will, will take it on. And just the size of them sometimes will scare the animal off. But, and I said, oh, so they're like tough. He goes, no, they'll always lose. He goes, but they'll always fight. Hey. And I just thought, man, that's a great example for, you know, yeah. we're supposed to be shepherds. Yeah, yeah. Like, hey, we may lose, but we're at least going to try. Yeah. And, and he I says, they, 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 they bond. That's their family unit. So he says, they just let them go out there with the sheep. And they said, most of the sheep will always come back. You may lose a llama, but they're easier to replace. Yeah. You know, and it's no, it's, it's cool. interesting because I, I know we're going to get to the restaurant story, but I, I want to talk about that for a minute because I watch you. Right. Um, I cyber stalk you. And uh, the the uh, the the reality is you at times like you, you, you know when to scrap and you you pick your fights wisely. But I mean, you're not afraid to throw down with people from time to time. I think church planners have that quality. Right. They, they have to kind of have a little bit of tenacity. Um, but I've, I've watched you, and I, I'm, I stand back sometimes, and I go, I'm proud of, proud of that stand you made, because a lot of guys will wimp out on that. But um, tell me about your kind of like your fighting strategy. Your, uh, you make a stand when other guys are run. Talk well, I think Christianity that. has all got taken over by the – it's our turn. I mean, I guess there's no other way to say it. In other words, it's like in America, we're known for what we're against. You know, we hate abortion. We hate the gays. We don't want gay marriage. And, and so Christians have become a political party. And I just got to the point where it's like, you know, I can, I can say normal good things and I can take on issues. But a lot of times um, uh, there's still the religious people out there who Amen. every once in a while they just want to take it to another level. And I, I, I would get into it with everybody. But, you know, sometimes you just don't have the time, so you just delete comments or whatever. <laughs> but at, at some point, somebody, I, and I don't do it to try to win them over. I do it because everyone else that's watching this, I mean, I have thousands of followers, yeah. we're going to get into it. And I'm trying to think of, like, an issue recently that came up. That, Strange fire. Strange fire. Oh, these weirdos. Look. <laughs> so John MacArthur has this basically saying that all the Pentecostals, all the Charismatics, you know, are all going to go to hell and... And, and it's just, it's just stupid. It's a level of stupid that it's, you know, Jesus was really clear. He goes, you're going to be real surprised at who shows up. You're also probably going to be surprised at who's not there. Yeah. And so, you know, and I don't consider myself like a charismatic, you know, yeah. I've got, I spent time in a charismatic church. If I raise my arms just like this much, it's like out of body experience, but, <laughs> but I go to Hillsong like concerts, yeah. you know, I love Hillsong. This yeah. yeah. just raise our hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry well, for everyone who was listening, it didn't go up. But but that's the that that's the whole thing that that you know like I'll listen to Hillsong or whatever. But so so these guys were tweeting out like you know all this just just vile stuff. And I have a lot of friends who past friends who are charismatic, and I'm like, you know, it's like when I grew up, they told us the Catholics were all going to hell, and I was like, so Mother Teresa's in hell? Like we are all screwed. And and it wasn't they were like yeah. well it wasn't by works. And it's like no, but. You you can I've read all her books and your her writings and she was after Christ. Oh, dude, that's and like, Lord. Yeah, and Big so time. it's like so so I I start just getting into it with these people and and you know and they say stuff you know like one guy was like oh you know you need a you need a bottle and I'm like come to my house and say that I'm not a little person 
<laughs> you know, it's real great behind Twitter to say yeah, that right. I'm out there. Y'all know. I mean, you can Google me. I'm everywhere. Sure. You can find out. I mean, I don't know anything about you. And you're sitting there saying we're all heretics. Is it possible none of us have it right? Is it possible we're doing what the Bible says? We're following God through a glass dimly lit, but then face to face. Is it possible we don't have this all correct? And that when we tell another person because they believe in this, yes, yeah. there's abuses. Yes, we've watched televangelists yeah. get money just like that. But you're going to tell me his whole conference, he didn't make money. He didn't sell a ton of books. He didn't cause all this. And, and it was the, 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 the idea of, of staying quiet. Um, my charismatic yeah. friends, they have to try to defend themselves. Yeah. But if I'm the one in the middle going, I don't even believe like most of them. But I 100% know these guys are going to heaven. Yeah. And when we get there, we're all going to go, wow, yeah. that, we were really off on that one. Because it's about Jesus Christ. So when a Catholic person says, hey, I love Jesus. I believe he was the son of God. He died and rose again. That's what the Bible says gets you in. Amen. And so when John MacArthur does this stuff and people got mad because I used his name, I'm like, he's using T.D. Jakes' name. Yeah. I steal all that guy's sermons. Yeah. I mean, and he, I can steal one sermon and have like four Sundays worth of stuff. Absolutely. And so when he says that stuff, I'm like, okay, then I'm going to use your name. And like, well, that's not nice to talk about him behind their back. I'm like, I'm on social media. He's saying all this, live streaming it. Yeah. And so I'm going to listen to it because at some point, the guys in the polyester suits that are 90 years old, we're going to have to wrestle the microphone out of their hand. And the Internet has made it even. When Pat Robertson gets off and says, like, it's okay to leave your wife. She has Alzheimer's because God understands that. I'm like, are you, what are you smoking, Pat? Because you're talking for the rest of us. Yeah. And I'm tired of it. And so it's like that's why they think we're hateful. Westboro Baptist Church. I mean, the world thinks that's us. Yeah, and somebody's right. got to be there going, no, they're stupid. And we're like, well, you need to use better words. What words do you want me to use? Yeah. This is dumb. This isn't how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to love. And so when people get on, and I get, I get irritated when people, I don't care who they voted for, but they're like, Obama's going to kill this country. No, he's not. Yeah. They've tried to use forever, and, 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 and it wouldn't change anything. The Bible says if he's your leader, pray for him. Not, well, he's ruining everything. And we streamline yeah. Mormonism when we say, well, Romney's a godly man. See, my question is now. So, so Mormons, we're, we're all the same. We're okay. Right. And all the Christians right. want to back off. I brought that up in a conference, man. You could have heard crickets. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm not saying I have great Mormon friends. I don't know where all that is, but you guys said, Oh, this is okay. And now look at the numbers since that election. Yep. We're like, Oh yeah, well, he's a godly man. Okay. Well yep. then don't whine when the Mormons take Dude, all the it, church. It's a cultural blind spot. And it doesn't matter where I've gone in the world. Everybody's got their cultural blind spot. America doesn't, it doesn't recognize its own cultural blind spot, but you're, you're hitting the nail on the head, man. Well, I think, at some point along the way, we have to stand up for like love and sanity. And I think grace, you know, like when I befriended like Ted Haggard, I caught all kinds of hell. And I'm like, I'm not dating him. Yeah. He's my friend. And I would go out places and it's gotten a lot better now. And uh, I wrote an article about him that just went bananas. And what I realized was, oh, it's the leaders that are ungraceful. Yeah. All the people in the church, tons of them were like, Absolutely. and what's happening now is they're starting to go, yeah, I don't. I don't want to follow an ungraceful church. Absolutely. And so there's this big shift now, and now all the leaders are trying to catch up. I, I forget, what was it? Uh, uh, Caesar who said, I'm, uh, my people are leaving, I must go to lead them. It's mm -hmm. like they're already headed that way. Yeah. And, and this is where we are in our country now. Absolutely. And so I think social media, there's a few, your voice, a lot of our voices are starting to, I, I'm okay with fighting, whereas normally it was like we're supposed to just be quiet. I'm like, I'm not going to be quiet. If you say something stupid, then if I have time and I'm sitting in my easy chair, I'll start Facebooking about it and I'll it. talk about it.
I dig it. I think that's important, man, because I, I, I think, you know, we forget as well. Like, I'm reading through the prophets right now, right? And those guys stood up, man. They challenged the status quo. I think, Mike, you, you have a certain – one of the reasons I appreciate is your writing is somewhat prophetic. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what your views on are, are on all that, but I think certain. Well, certain I don't want to get stoned if it doesn't come true. Well, you know, I don't want. I don't want. <laughs> of course, in Denver, that means something different. Strange Fire Two now is going to have your poster with a big red X encircled through it. But, but the, the the fact of the matter is, is that you know your writing is prophetic, and I think to a certain degree, um, what I mean by prophetic is you're, you're you're streamlining God's heart into a situation and saying, boom, you're laser point focusing. Um, you know what what the real issue is you know already mentioned you went all across the board and said, hey ain't this thing about jesus you know we could be wrong about just about anything else but it's about jesus right um i think as you go on in ministry over time you realize that you didn't know half as much as you thought you knew when you started out and there you know with me i i've always said i'm i'm a franken christian i'm i'm different bits of the body of christ sewn together right mm-hmm. so now i've flip-flopped all over the place i don't know where in the heck i've ended up but all i know is that I think I'm closer to, to being slightly more biblical, but I'm less confident. And and the reason why is because once your opinion changes on enough things enough times, you kind of develop this like inbred humility, like, I'm going to listen to you. I'm, well, you're I'm at least going to hear you out. You're man. taught at the beginning to act like you know everything. Yeah. And I think, you know, over time, I've gotten to sit, especially these last two years, with some really high level, not just Christian leaders, but but great thinkers and and. and and what I notice is they, they know enough to know they don't know everything. And they're like, oh, that's a good question. Yeah. And I realize that, 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 that I find that, and I think our generation does more, uh, it's more attractive to go, yeah, I don't know. So yeah. like in our church, I don't say like God told us to do this, like this business. I'll say, I have a hunch. Hmm. We're going to try this. Because I think if you say, once you bring God into it, what happens when it goes south? Right, yeah. And, you know, ideas don't work. You know? I mean, even good ideas, at some yeah. point, oh, somebody's got to chain old yeller to the tree and bash his head in like it didn't work anymore. <laughs> you know? And so they're having a dish fight over there. So t- tell us more about the uh, the angry llama. How did, how did that kind of start out? And, well, you, you can't know. get near houses up there. They're all four miles apart. And we have bears. So they keep dogs as big as bears. <laughs> And so we got like go heads and all this other stuff, and we were like getting attacked. And people they answer the door in guns with, with guns, and and we were like, all right, we're gonna die. And so there's only a few restaurants, so we said, well, what if we do food? And so we thought, yeah, how hard can that be, you know? And so we or we started a restaurant. It was just offensive food. It, it was like French fried pop tarts and stuff. It was just horrible. And uh, and so we were like, well, this is horrible. So we actually shut it down for a weekend. We we just watched every episode you could of uh, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Oh yeah. And and shows like that. And we just stole recipes like this is how they do it. All right, good. And and we learned how to do that. And our food isn't the best in the world, but it's okay. I mean, it's edible. Has Guy Fieri been there? No. Because we don't want him to come because we're like, we stole all the ideas from, you know. Hey, I got a secret about Guy Fieri. He doesn't eat eggs. Oh, I know. He, he takes it on the show. Yeah. Well, he always says it now. Oh, does he? Yeah, he's authentic, you know. He's yeah. really coming over. I went to, I went to Minneapolis where, where John was that, that went to dinner with us tonight. He, uh, Guy Fieri's been there 26 times. Well, and man, Minnesota's got the best food. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the it's Juicy amazing. Lucy. Oh, dude, I, I, yeah. I ate so much there. My baby yeah. was born there, and uh, we went and adopted her. I spent two months in St. Paul. Dude, I would be huge if I lived there. But all I know is every place I went where Guy Fieri was, they're like, he doesn't eat eggs. Shh. Yeah, that's true. 
Yeah, but it's on a show now, so you guys okay? Y'all need some counseling? We do need counseling. We do. Pete's getting jealous of me in this microphone. <laughs> We're going to need to be alone. You're going to listen to the audio and you're going to go, man, my audio was so good until I got my mouth on the mic. I know. I need, I need like a guard. I need to have this. In you just got to put them in those little stands. Yeah. You know? That's how I normally do it. We're holding these things with our mouths. So, yeah. I'm eating my microphone the whole time. So, okay, Mike, t- tell us uh, tell us what happened. Like, like, tell us about the Trojan horse whole kind of philosophy. Because, I mean, this is all obviously connected. I mean, you guys did a driving school. I mean, all kinds of radical ideas. Tell, tell us how that works. Well, when you're building a church in a smaller town, money is always going to be an issue. So the, the businesses that we have are like twofold. Uh, one is we believe in proximity. If I can get near you and become friends, there's a better chance I will be in your life when, when, when there's an epicenter of issues. And the other one is to make a profit. And so we, we, have, we started a bunch of, uh, different ministries like, uh, and, and businesses like we do. We have a U-Haul dealership. Really? Yeah. And so, well, we were trying to say, how do you get near the new families? Are you and we, trying to find people that are moving wow. down the room? Yeah. You, you get both. How, right. how do you get near? See, this is what I dig is, is Mike, you know, I'm sitting here with Pete. And Pete, you should be asking all the questions now, man. Because here's the deal. Like, like this dude's an entrepreneur. We, we were sitting at, at, at dinner tonight with a woman who said, man, this is why I love church planners. Because they're spiritual entrepreneurs, which is true. But uh, it, it's really cool to see an entrepreneur kind of like, combined with a spiritual like he's a church planner and he's an entrepreneur so i mean the way that you have funded mission we just happened to be in the podcast at the place where we talked about how do we fund mission we went a totally different tack last week so what you're talking now there's going to be guys out there that are entrepreneurs they're going to be finding themselves and, and maybe they've not thought of the trojan horse concept and then there's other guys that maybe might not be entrepreneurs, but they're like you know i got to do something man and i was going to start up my window cleaner or carpet cleaning business you know what? It, it, this makes a lot of sense. So, um, t- the U-Haul with the new families. Go. <laughs> yeah. Well, what happens is, like any church can do this. It, it, you get like twenty-five percent of everything you know that you rent out, and that helps a little. But the idea is, when people move into a neighborhood, even if they're going to move away, you can at least say, "Hey, it was wonderful knowing you," or whatever. Uh, but for the most part, it's people moving in town. So the three things they could rent a truck for: one, they're moving away, which is rare. Two, they're moving across town. Or three, they're returning a truck. Yeah. And so we give them a gift basket. Welcome to our city. Here's all this stuff. Oh, by the way, here's stuff from our church. Wow. And so you're the first person in contact. By the way, here's some free gift cards to our restaurant. And sometimes if we find out all we can from them, a lot of people move up there. They're like, oh, I'm starting a business. Oh, well, we actually have this $30,000 print shop. We make banners and stickers and bumper stickers and, and all this stuff. And so when you come in and we find out what their logo is, their card. So they come in for lunch like three or four days later, usually, because they're just tired of being in their house unpacking. And we, hey, here's a banner we made for you. Here's some cards. Just if you like it, you know, I mean, it doesn't cost us a ton. And, and, and all you're doing is letting them know, we remembered you, we got your card, we did this stuff, and then it turns into to, to a business for us. Um, we have a, a screen printing business where we do, like, we're able to do, like, you know, T-shirts and hoodies and hats and all that stuff. And we work with the local schools. And so we're able to give them, like, a smashing deal. You know, we can charge bigger businesses normal rates and use that profit. And all of that helps pay for the staff. So the church money all goes to the church. And so it doesn't, and, and nobody feels like you have a job 
you, it's all run mostly by volunteers. We have a, we have a, a staff of, of over 40, full and part-time, and, then we, and, and this is not a huge church. And then we have 300 volunteers who run everything. And, and we, we, for a long time, we were a really young church. When so you we, 300 volunteers, you're talking about the businesses? Yeah, between the businesses, that's how many people in our church are working the businesses. They run everything. They run the screen printing businesses. They run the U-Haul dealership. They run the, you know, and we have people overseeing it. But most how, of the people do How hard do is that to get them to, to run it? If, when you say volunteer, I'm thinking they're not paid, right? No, they're not paid at all. So how hard is it to get the consistency that you need to actually run a business? It's rough at first, but you got to target the right people. In other words, like for us, we couldn't, we had a young church. So, you know, we needed, I said, man, we need retired people who have yeah. nothing to do all day. So I was like, how do we do it? Well, we're friends with Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's daughter. Right. And she's awesome. And Dude, so she like, is one of the most anointed freaking preachers I've ever heard. Oh man, her story, poo, man, is dynamite. I don't know her story. She's been divorced preaching. like four times. Are you serious? Oh man, it's it's a it's just it was oh man it, it'll ruin you. I don't even. But like she's she's honestly the only person who like can calm me down. Like I'll show her my writing. She's like that's too harsh. <laughs> and so she's a uh, she's just great. And so I said, hey Ruth, you need to come in and talk in my church. And uh, and so I had her in, and we did like Facebook ads like crazy uh, two weeks before that. So we have all these older people show up. Hey. And she's a fan of our church and me, and wow. so they just stayed. So we ended up putting all these people who were retired saying, this is your day. And we tell people, if you are retired, give us one or two days a week. You'll live longer statistically. You'll be healthier statistically, and you can run this. And the people who run our ministries, and there are literally more, because they did. They came out of accounting backgrounds and this and that, uh, and, they're, right. and so they just run them. And then, you know, and, and that's how everything kind of functions. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we've said this before. Church planning is, is thought to be a young, a young man's game, but you do need old people on your court team because and, they do have time. And they're down for an and adventure. Experience. And people say, ah, they don't want they want a stable church. No, they so don't. not true. They've been sitting in a stable church for 25 years going, we keep talking. We The most committed members we have in our church are the older crowd. You know what they say? They say, I went to so many churches who talked about this and never did it. Amen. And so they said, we're here. And they're all in, man. And they're smart because they can actually tell. They're, they're, they have no, like, they've lived long enough. They don't have a filter anymore. So if they're like, they're like, hey, man, we need to give to this cause. I mean, we raised 100 grand in a tiny little church, like, in a day. Because the older people are like, hey, y'all need to hurry up and give. Let's go. Come on. We got to get this done. We're not going to sit in this little building. We're going to go buy our land. And it was like, you know, for down payments and stuff. And, and they bring wisdom in, you know. So, but you have to target what you want. And so, you know, when we, you know, we have a bunch of mechanics. And I think sometimes you have to look at the cars that you have and go, we have all these guys who can fix cars. So we started a cars ministry. And the cars ministry flourishes out of that because these guys are the head of the fire department uh, maintenance. They're head of, you know, Mercedes and Chevy. And they get together. We built a race car. Wow. And and they race at a Bandemir Speed, uh, Speedway, and it's all you know. But what happens is that's a discipleship group. So when a single mom's car breaks, they can say, "Hey, we'll rebuild the transmission, bring it here." And instead of paying you know thirteen hundred dollars for transmission, it costs us one hundred eighty dollars in parts, and we give this single mom back her car, cleaned up, detailed, oil changed, ready to rock. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, t- tell us a little bit about the poster. Uh, the poster story, we, Pete and I, during this past year, we heard about the posters that you put up around town and someone slapped some stickers. That's our favorite story. Well, doing church in a small town, uh, in my opinion, because I've done churches in bigger cities, it's rough, man. 
because you know it, it it's one of those places where well we never saw this here before and so like you know like when you get there big isn't great you know big in a city feels comfortable big in a in a in, in a small town is not good and so it was the other churches that you know just were not fans and uh and so the average size church there is you know maybe 100 people and and so our church started growing well you know we're avid you know we believe in a, in an abundance of people and you can have two mindsets you you can either say oh well you know everybody knows about our church or you can believe even if your town's tiny that everybody hasn't heard about it and so so we uh we put up posters about our new series all the time and we give t-shirts away and you know, it's a way of getting the word out well Somebody had gone through town and we were called a cult for a long time. And the reason is because I have this big house and I have two families that live like in my basement because it's big enough. We turned them into little apartments and they're going to be building homes. They're not chained to anything. So, right? No, not always. Not always. And, uh, and so, uh, and so they were like, oh, they all live together. I'm like, whatever. And so, but you know, they call us a cult for, for whatever reason. Uh, and we're not affiliated with a denomination. So, that, you know, we must be. And so, you know, but I just went with it. I mean, my hat, my staff made me a cult leader hat and I got the crash glasses, you know, and I just wore them yeah. around for fun. Oh, that's awesome. And so what somebody did is they ran around, they put stickers called, that said cult on there. And somebody came to church and said, Hey, did you see this? I saw this last night. And they had taken a picture with their phone and they had taken the sticker off. And this was, you know, we were doing setup because at that time we were meeting at a high school. And I was like, wow, man, they just, that's just like, you know, and they, they said, yeah, they're on every poster in our town. So somebody literally had to go print on labels and go and do No, they didn't go with us. I was a little bummed. But what <laughs> happened was as church started, the first service, we had all these families show up and we're like, you know, because we always, how did you hear of us? And they're like, well, there was these posters and normally I ignore them, but there was a sticker that said cult. <laughs> and we thought, ooh, interesting. You know, there's a cult I want to see a cult. Never seen so they go home those. and they Googled us. And they look at our website and they're like, this seems like a cool church. Yeah. And they listen to it and they're like, so we just thought, hey, we should check this out. We weren't even planning to go to a church. And so whoever did that, I, so after the, the, I mean, both services, all these people. So I told the staff, go print cult things and go put them back up. <laughs> I said, this print is just, this, this is genius. Because, you know, and, and most of you were like, I, you know, I would never have gone, oh, it looks like a good church. Let me go Google it. Yeah. So it just backfired on whoever That's did it. Awesome, man. Let's go make our own cult posters and start. But this is working, baby. Well, you say, we say it in church work like it's a bad thing, like cult. And it's like, but, you know, like for bands, like I'm a cult, you know, like, like I love the Foo Fighters. I'm a cult follower of them. You know, like I love those, that band. Yeah, and in a church, it's like, it's, it's funny because, you know, the thing about, you know, we all went to Bible college and cults have very distinctive things. Like they're very, you know, like, like you can't know what's going on and they're very exclusive and you have to go through this whole thing. And we're like a seeker church, you know, like, come, everybody come, come on in. And I'm like, wow, you guys really don't know what that is. And you start feeling bad for your community because you're like, you know, if that's all you got. And, you know, and we get bad emails too. And, you know, I have high level tech guys and people don't understand that they know where IP addresses come from. And you can tell where, what computer and what building was in. So you get like hate mail from another church. And you're just like, really? Like, this is what you're doing in the middle of the day? 
And, you know, and, and, and I think that's, I was listening to, I was at a conference today and they were talking at the end. I think you guys were there about the getting churches to work together. And I, I didn't even want to get into the conversation because it's almost impossible. Yeah. Because, it, it, and, and, and I don't even think it's necessary all the time. I'm friends with hundreds of churches, maybe thousands now. And, but none of them near me. But, you know, but the ones that are near me, honestly, there's some that are really good. And then there's some that are just like, wow, you just, if you need a bigger church to die so you can grow, you're doing church wrong. Right. You know, I like the competition. We have a church, a mega church doing a satellite campus near us, and their worship is like unbelievable. And when I told the staff this, they had the best reaction. They were like, good. They go, because we're dominating here. We need somebody to come and kick our butt. That's awesome. And I thought, okay, we're, we're going somewhere we're good. Right. Yeah, because it's like you want that. And, yeah. and we all say it as pastors, you know, oh, there's enough people around here to fill all of our churches. <laughs> but behind closed doors, we don't feel that way. And yeah. if you have that mindset, like we're doing a thing now where we're reaching into the city. Everybody drives down to work. Everybody drives down for church. And so now for the first time, because we're doing so well, we've, we've gone and done this campaign that says, uh, my, my home is in the city, but my church is in the hills. And it's so, and people are driving up in droves no on Sunday, going, "Hey, I get this nice little fifteen twenty minute drive up in the mountains. I come and I get, I worship God, and I get on with my busy life." That's and so awesome. we were like, "What? Well, we can just change the norms." So, wow, man. that's killer. I dig it. All right, Pete, ask your magic questions. I don't have any magic questions after this. I'm just soaking it all in. Yeah, I can Literally. see Pete's gears turning, man. Well, that's because I mean we've talked about this before. Our church. Inner city Long Beach, uh, the more people we get, the less money we'll make as a church because our people are ex-cons. Uh, <laughs> the line we didn't use on this podcast that we said we were going to use. Like this last Sunday, we had a, a transsexual prostitute who's trying to get out. We had a guy who was trying to make change in the offering plate. That was the funniest. That was the funniest because he's in the front row and he's like talking to it the usher. It took forever. And then the usher pulls his wallet out. Because the usher starts, has changed. Yeah. I mean, there was no change there in the wasn't, offering There plate. wasn't enough in the offering. And then our <laughs> Sunday school leader gets bit by a pit bull. Like most of our people are ex-cons. We've got uh, ex-sex workers, druggies like you can't believe. So the way we look at it, and we feed everyone breakfast, because that's part of what gets into our church. We're like, the more people we get, the more mouths we got to feed. Yeah. Like, it does not equal it's more, more money for us. Yeah, it is. It's more expensive. So we look at it, and we're like, okay, how can we fund this thing? Because we still need money. So, I mean, that was one of the reasons why when I read your book, the, uh, the How to Knock Over 7-Eleven book, I was floored by it. Because I'm looking at that going... We've got guys who will work. We just need to give them something to go do. We need to give them something that they can go do that we can make money at. Because, like, we've got a guy on staff right now, Peyton and I were talking earlier, who, um, hard worker, great heart, could never run a business to save his life. That's not his skill set. I'm a direct response marketer. I run three different companies and three magazines right now. Like, I can run a business, but I don't have time to go out there and do a lot of the legwork stuff that needs to be done. So for me, that was the thing that intrigued me the most about your book was looking at the different Trojan horses that you guys were utilizing to fund your ministry. And then also how you're using them to reach into the community. Yeah, well, you know, anything that brings you, people don't walk into church, but they'll walk into anywhere else almost. You know, if you want to 
do a bike repair shop. You know, whoever has a flat tire is going to come to you. You and so you know, it's 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 if you want to build bridges, you got to go where rivers are. And the problem is, is that is if you if you see it as a ministry first, the money comes later. And so, like, we have like our own publishing company, but like, we it, getting it off the ground was a little pricey. Other things you can do pretty cheap, and most people don't do it uh, because, like, and, and I mean, you know, and I'll say this because, and I know, I say this to pastors. I do church consulting all the time, and this is the hardest pill for most pastors to swallow. You're not good at business. Right. You think you are because you count That's an offering. That's the thing that right? I fear when I hear you talking. I'm sitting there going. Yeah, but I know statistically most businesses fail because most guys don't know how to run a business. Yeah. And that's true. But the problem is, and they think, well, I need all this money. Like, we opened our restaurant. Like, if you go to our restaurant, uh, the, the, the whole thing opened for $500 because we built every table and every chair out of pallets. Oh, and wow. so, in other words, like, I, I always tell my staff, quit at waiting for resources. Be resourceful. For a lesser person, yes, but for me, and and our and our tables and chairs were so nice that they all sold. Like we actually started having to make more because people were like, "How much is this pallet table that costs us nothing to make? Hundred bucks? I'll take three. And it, you know, and so what happens is, is is the resourcefulness. And if you if you don't know how to run a business, you can learn. And churches have advantages because one, it's legal. And I always get that pushback from churches like, oh, it's not legal. I'm like, it's completely legal. Mm-hmm. You can run daycares and coffee yep. shops, but everybody has daycares and coffee shops. And it's like, so it's like, well, I'm outside of the box. You know, I'm, I'm running a coffee shop for Jesus. I'm like, you and everybody since 1962. But if you want to, to make it a, a, a ministry, it has to provide a real function. And then you have to find somebody to run it. And you also have volunteers. People want to, volunteers don't want to show up to be pat on the back. They want to work. They want to feel like, man, I did something. And so our volunteers, you know, that the way it works in ours is they come in and, and, and where we sit them down and we take their order. And the idea is to engage them in conversation. What's going on? Where are you at? And we give away every week as many meals as we sell. And so, or with our publishing company, you know, we want, uh, to, to, we say like-minded voices. That's what we want out there, putting new ones in the conversation. Uh, with our screen painting business and, uh, we do car wraps and stuff. All of that's to pay for it. We've helped 26 different churches start. You know, we buy a U-Haul for them. We wrap it. We give them a sound system and chairs and we buy all this on Craigslist. Now that, that's a huge resource. I don't know if you guys caught that or not, but Mike's, Mike's talking about, you can uh, you can go to certain companies that you know for a hundred thou will will start you up and, and what have you. But Mike's got something narrowed down. I mean, he's he told us and our eyes bugged out at right. the table earlier. He's got this uh, startup kit. Talk, talk, talk a little bit more about that. Uh, well, you know, we had friends who wanted to start churches, and you know, you could go with these different companies, and it just it gets so crazy expensive. Yeah, like who has that kind of money? Well, some people do. You know, it's irritating to me because I know church planners who have hundreds of thousands of dollars. And two years later, they have five people in their church yep. and they're getting more funding and people are giving it to them. Yep. And I'm like, who's vetting these guys? But I'll invest in people who say, I don't need outside money. I just, I don't. Uh, Jim Brown, the great running back, he made a comment and I love it. He's, you know, they weren't blocking for him. And, you know, so he goes, I think it was to Cleveland. And he said, look, I'm not asking you to move m- mountains. I'm asking you to give me six inches of daylight mm. and I'll make us win. And he did. And so I believe church planners, you can't make it all the way easy. But I tell them, you get 10 grand, I'll get you your paperwork, I'll get you a truck, 
I'll get you it wrapped with your logo. I'll get your paperwork done. I'll give you 200 chairs, a sound system, and off you go. And if you can't start with that, because you don't need a sign, it's on the side of your truck. Yeah. And if you can't do that, if you can't get a church off that, because I nobody gave me anything. I started with nothing, not a thing. And I fought my way into existence with a team that I love. Yeah. And so... Uh, and so that's our thing is that we can do that. And so people come to us with 10 grand, we take it and we don't make a profit. I mean, it's exactly what we need, but Craigslist, you can get stuff, you put stuff together. And I think that we get, we do, we get, we get like, Oh, well, I need the best microphone or I need this and that. I mean, literally most of the sound system that we started with, we dug out of behind a gar- guitar center that threw it away. <laughs> and so we got like normal speaker cabinets and we put car speakers in them. Man, dumpster diving for resourcing your church plan. I dig it, man. It's the first dumpster time I've heard that. for Jesus. Yeah, baby. You know, you just have to look, make it look good, you know? Yeah. I mean, we found a guitar. Wow. You know, the neck was broken, and we just, we got on YouTube, and we learned how to fix that. You can, There's nothing you can't YouTube and learn how to do. And I feel like we lost some of that because we were like, well, if I could just get resources. And I'm like, you couldn't do this if you were in yeah. China. You yeah. have to figure it out. Right. But in America, we're like that. So I hear like your church down, it's in the inner city. You need an outside church helping you. And they're like, eh, unless we get the credit and our name on it, instead of going, look, I'll partner with you guys. Yeah. You go and you do this kind of thing and you're reaching people from, you know, and that's why, you know, churches like yours ter- typically do better if you start in the suburbs and then you do extension ministry. But if Absolutely. you go right into the heart of the city, I have a friend in Austin who's going through the same thing and you're reaching the people nobody's reaching and nobody Absolutely. cares. Absolutely. Because the other church is like, oh, please, you can have them. Yep. And it's like we're looking, but it just takes it takes a business model and, and things that work to see how, how would this work? How could we do it? And like ours are, are very, we try to make them less time intensive now. You know, printing a banner is just press, you know, send, and we have one guy who can crank them out. T-shirts now, we've done, we do so many. We actually uh, have a deal with a, another company. We can actually just be the middleman on bigger bulk items. I mean, you know, we have the hand ones, you know, that you – little spin things. They're not yeah. a computer. And so we, yeah. when we got our first order for like 20,000 shirts, I was like, oh, no, this is not. Yeah. And so we just added a quarter of shirts. It was still way under the other bid yeah. and just opted them out. Wow. And so, you know, it's like being smart. Staples or, or, or Office Max, you go in, they send half their stuff to Vista Print. Mm. And it's like churches, we just kind of get like silly because yeah. we're like, oh, you know, I don't know how this is going to work. Instead of going, look, this, the model is there. And you have to be willing to kill businesses. We did a thrift store that we, it was horrible, and we just killed it. Well, and Jesus said, didn't he? He said the children of the world are wiser with their money than the children of the kingdom. That's true. And and, and, and there's kind of a challenge that he's, that he's issuing there to the church. He's saying you need to know how to use money properly. Sure. And the problem is when you get it, you also have to... You know, starting a church is like, it really is like gambling. Like, you are betting a lot of, you know, and, and, and that's, church planners know that. We speak the same language because you're like, you're always seven days away from extinction. Absolutely. And so, like, when I was in, like, when I remember the first time, it, we had a snowstorm. And I was like, man, what should we do? You know, because in Texas, a snowstorm is like, it's 60. And we're like, well, that's it. The whole world's shutting down. But in, in Colorado, in the mountains, and I, we got on the websites, and every church was still having church. And, I mean, it was bad snow. They, the weather was saying, stay inside. And I said, why are they still having? And I realized, oh, they need their offering. And so I just said, cancel it. I mean, you know, we, yeah, we definitely need money. And uh, it was tough to do that because you're thinking, man, how many people will show up? And... Uh, and you have to get to that place where you just still trust God. 
And so, you know, and we made it through those and, and we had a reserve, but every once in a while we really do. We like, we just, we moved into a tent because I got tired of paying rent at the high school and they, they're charging us. We're still arguing with them about how much a hallway was, you know, they charge us for hallways and stuff that they, you know, cause the school's hurting financially. So, you know, the school district just jacks rent up. And so we went and bought like a $50,000 tent. And so you have to deck it out and you have to heat it and you have to put a floor in. I mean, it's just a tent. And, uh, but you know, it's a, that's a huge risk to take in Colorado, but you have this hunch that like, if I do this, I'm saving us $8,000 a month because we're on our own land and everything I'm doing is going to move us forward to, cause we're building a rec center. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a risk and reward thing that, that you, you, and if you get money and you start piling it up, you lose that kind of, I got to keep working. At, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 There is a, there is a change in dynamics. So many things can change the way a church plant feels like when people start coming, um, when it starts popping, I mean, everything starts, you, you find these stages that you can, you can lose that edge, but, um, you know, you've done this enough where you're conscious. Of, that's one of the things I love is you guys are always innovating and always doing new stuff. I mean, you built the giant chair. That's probably another story for another night, but um, there's so many cool things. Uh, it, it, should we talk about the Trojan Horse website at all? Should we get people on? Yeah, we just launched it. It's a trojanhorsecollective.com. Yeah, that's what it is. trojanhorsecollective.com. Is it the Trojan Horse Collective? No. So just trojanhorsecollective.com. Basically, it's a it's a ministry we start. We do I do a lot of church consulting, and we're going to start a conference in a, in, a, in about a year and a half. And it's just you'd be surprised how many churches, uh, like we've helped like fifty churches start diners, and uh, and a couple churches buy newspapers when they took over the newspaper, and churches are starting to for the first time literally do things different, and go I'm going to try this, and there's a ton of failure in there. And uh, so, but what we're doing is I'm writing my articles on there now because I write for some magazines, but the idea is to, to give church, uh, churches the, the share the experience with them. Mm. Hey, I'm trying this idea yeah. or I'm trying that idea or what works now and what doesn't. Because, you know, if you, we're no different than like, you know, there's a reason McDonald's and Coke just keep throwing ads at us. And there's a reason that some Christian magazines go, oh, we could start, keep doing mail flyers. Like, here's the numbers. And, and, and I never, we did that twice. And even though the numbers say, oh, you, you're going to get a lot of people, we didn't. Yeah. And then we realized, oh, everybody we're trying to reach has moved to these different genres and Facebook and, and Twitter and, and understanding how to, how to navigate them and, and use your money more wisely. And so the idea behind the Trojan Horse is, is that the church is going to have to get behind people's walls because we all have walls. Once they, like when I travel and people find out I'm a pastor, they shut down. Yep. Or, you know, you, I, I sit next to Christians who don't know I'm a pastor. Like, can I tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And I'm like, I wish you wouldn't yeah. because you're talking very loud now and I want to be left alone. And we've forgotten how to, you know, the people who do witness almost do it like horrible. Yeah. And then the rest of us are just like, okay, I, there's got to be a way because uh, we're so defensive now. So it's like, how do you get involved in somebody's life? Because I, I, I cannot explain to you God if I don't have a relationship with you. Absolutely. It's like when I trained my staff, I would drop them off at the mall. <laughs> and I'd say, in 15 minutes, get in a conversation with somebody about a lamp. It has to be a stranger. I'll, I'll have to find somebody different. And so as soon as it was over, they had to be in the food court. And they explained how they did it, you know, and some people had trouble at first, but everybody eventually could go in and in 15 minutes, I'd get in a conversation about a car headlight. I would give them real arbitrary things. And they learned that they could literally 
befriend a stranger really quickly. They knew how to do it, and they could drive the conversation anywhere they wanted. And so we would put recording devices to see how they did it. And I said, okay, now, now go in and go talk about God. And all of them within 15 minutes could just steer it naturally to God. Yeah. Amen. And so that's how we, we try to do with the thing in our business is we're not going to lurch at you. 90% of the time, you're going to figure out we're a church. And then you're going to go, so y'all are a church? And we're like, yeah, we just want to be friends with our community. So like when Christmas and Easter come along, you know, we have, you know, 12, 1400 people show up yeah. and they go, this is my church for the holidays. And that to us isn't a bad thing. That's our church. Amen. And we interact with them and we talk with them and, and first contact. Well, yeah, it, it, and, and we may only see them. Uh, we have people, we have people who literally volunteer every week, but don't go to church and they don't realize you're in our church. Yeah. We talk, we have assigned topics. So if I'm running the kitchen that day, we'll say, Hey, let's talk about uh, family conflict and making peace yep. with people. That that's one of my passions is letting people that are not saved serve in your church plan. Because some people are going to come along. Like when people find out that we serve breakfast to the community, we have had over the past years since we've been doing that, um, we've had people turn up just because we're sure. feeding home, and they're like, "Dude, I always want to do that. Where, where do I sign up?" Yeah. Well, we don't like cart them at the door. Are you a Christian? We we just say, "Yeah, come on up." Yeah. You know, if someone wants to join the worship, this is where I get really controversial. We, we don't let them like lead worship, but we let them play in the worship. Band. Why not? We don't care. Why, Why not lead? Yeah, I had arguments with guys. Like I'm, I'm fine with them, and, and I was the same way. I was like, ah, we're not gonna let them lead worship. And then I thought. If they're singing that song and it doesn't eventually change them, <laughs> something's wrong with us. I'm like, I don't care. Go ahead. Well, how can you lead worship? I'm like, they're singing. Yeah. They're not leading anything. I'm worshiping God myself. And so we've let people that aren't saved. And I, I've never had a person on worship team ever that was, that was, uh, that was, was playing or singing that wasn't a Christian in 90 days. I was just about to say the same thing. I've never seen it where the person does not get saved. Get them on stage as fast as you can. And they're like, wow, this is, I need this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, look, um, now you can see, uh, listeners, uh, why Mike Cheshire, uh, if we said that Rick Warren was, oh, yeah, boy. But, you know, we we said that uh, uh, Rick Warren, and by the way, I'm only a fanboy of Rick Warren because of global church planning. That guy's on fire when it comes to global church planning. That's what blew me away. Before that, I was like, I'm never called to do what that dude did. I'm not going to be the the, the, the the pastor of a huge mega church, but uh, if if Rick Warren is the godfather of global church planning, then uh, Mike Cheshire is definitely the fairy. No, no I can't the say he's too big. I was going to say he's the shoe cobbler's elf of uh, church planning because some of you guys are going to wake up one morning and you're going to realize, oh my gosh. What I'm doing right now, that was Michael Cheshire. I went to bed, I woke up, and boom, all these magical things happened. I don't know how it happened, but boom, somewhere, that was Michael Cheshire, got into my brain and made me do that. So, Mike, it's been awesome. Thanks for opening up your head and letting wondrous things come out. We appreciate it. And uh, we, uh, you know, we, we talk about you so much because we respect you. And we love what you're doing, and we can't wait to talk to you again. Next time we talk, we're going to want to talk to you a little bit about uh, book number two and uh, eventually book number three when that comes out. But uh, anyways, man, uh, brother from another mother, and uh, loved having you on. Thanks for coming. And uh, Pete, what do you want to say? That's it. All right. All right. I think you did it right. Uh, And and also, uh, Cortland Coffey, who's here, off in the distance, uh, behaving himself. He, uh, he made known to me, and I hope I got this right, but uh, these books, by the way, if you want them, while supplies last, they are $9 a piece, and that is a bargain. 
So if you want some of those, nine bucks. How do they get those, Mike? Where do they go? Uh, call, call the Journey Church. Journeyfoothills.com. Journeyfoothills.com. Get on there. and Just, uh, just, uh, just call any Journey Church in your particular city. That's right. And we have five copies to give away. If you, uh, What do they got to do to get those five copies, Pete? I don't know because I owe uh, Philip Fiddler a book. So <laughs> he's getting one. Sorry, Philip Fiddler. We, uh, anyways, hey, and tell us real quick about Centralized. What's oh, going yeah, on with yeah. that? Centralized in Costa Mesa, January, is it 23rd, 24th, 25th? It's 25th and 26th. 25th and 26th. All right, it was right in that area. And the reason why everyone should go to the Centralized Conference, spelled S-E-N-T as in sent out, is uh, because we're going to be there. We are going to be I mean, there. There's no other reason really to attend that conference. Absolutely. <laughs> so. We're going to have a big banner and a table, and we're going to be doing live podcasts and interviews, and I'm going to be speaking. Oh, yeah. Well, you might want to skip that session, but other than that, it's cool. I was big at Exponential. You were. Big, baby. You were. You weren't, you're not as big as uh, the Cheshmo? Yeah. Well, that's just pizza. That's not conferences. <laughs> <laughs> I was not as big as the Cheshmo. That is true. I will never be as big as the Cheshmo. <laughs> anyway, come to the Centralized <laughs> Conference, and uh, we'll talk to all you guys next week. All right. Hey, thanks for joining us for the podcast. We're reminding you, if you want to reach the ones no one's reaching, you got to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. Church Planner Magazine.